0: steps just takes it out of me amen I get dizzy I don't know how anybody else does anymore but uh yeah I like to blame it on a lot of things but I think it's the gravitational pull of my gut amen just has a lot to do with it It it's good to be here tonight and appreciate you folks and appreciate this church been a long time going back and I spent some time in that Asheville hospital a couple times when I was a kid brother you know one time and for kidney problems and another time when my wife and I first got married I was in that hospital when I cut off my toe because I was rebellious to God amen and uh, uh, that's a long story in itself and I'm not going to share that tonight many of you heard it before uh, but anyway it's uh, just it's good to be here this evening and I just uh, want to thank God for uh, this church and and uh, for what he's done here over the years, amen. Well, I've seen—we've uh, seen many, 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 many people, uh, and heard of many, many, many people who have come to Christ here, amen. I remember—I want to tell a story on your pastor for a moment, if I can—a good story, brothers. This is not a made-up one, amen. It's a real story, amen. But uh, I remember one of the first times I met your pastor, shot and. And uh, we were uh, in Ohio at, uh, at um, New Line Baptist Church, and you and uh, Donnie Adams came back from, from Bible college for, a, I don't know if you were there for the whole summer or just a, a, a few. I think you were there for the whole summer that year. I can't remember for sure, but it was right when I first met you. And um, the church had a, a special day, and it was called Some Day. Sunday. Remember that day? Pastor, someday, Sunday. And it was your and Donnie's uh, brainchild. I don't know which one of you two were the smarter, but uh, you guys were the one to put that together. And they gave us all a sheet of uh, paper, uh, eight and a half by 11. And and then we were to take that out. And on the top of it, it said, someday, Sunday. So what you did is you went around to all your relatives and friends that said that they would come to church someday. And you got them to sign that list on that name on there. You'd you'd say to them, Listen, you said you'd come to church someday. Yeah, I'll come someday. Well, really? Yeah, well, this is Someday, Sunday, right here. And they had the date on there. You made them sign their name to it. And I don't know how many signatures I have, but I have my my aunt and my uncle and uh, every one of their kids. My aunt got up that Sunday morning. And she'd meet I met. she made everybody God bless. She should get dressed we're going to church because I signed my name on that, and we're not letting Mike down. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I remember I had an uncle that raised his hand that day, and I can't remember who was preaching. It might, I don't know if it was Larry Clayton or if it was um, the fellow Farley out of. Uh, Let me tell the story. Lane Farley. Lane Farley. I think it was yes. And, uh, and I, I was talking uh, last week. I was on the spiritual history tour with uh, uh, Pastor Rick Flanders from Michigan, and we were just talking away. And he, he mentioned he says he mentioned uh, he was from Lewis Park Baptist Church 40 years ago, 45 years ago as an assistant pastor. And he said to me, he says,
1: "Yeah, back then Blaine Farley was our pastor." I
0: Isn't that something? Pastor at Lewis Park Baptist Church. Oh, amen. Yeah, amen. Old Southern boy. Boy, he had a Southern draw to him. He was something else, I tell you. But I remember my uncle raising his hand about salvation. Did not get saved that day, but I remember Brother Farley looking at him. And he was sitting right about where you're at. There was, they came in late, and there was the only place left to sit the front rows, amen. The church was packed out, remember that? I mean, that that church was packed out that Sunday. And so they took up that whole one row, the second row back, I believe. I remember my uncle raising his hand, and when Blaine invited him forward, he said, just pray for me, you know. And, and my uncle today, I've talked to him over the He's gone now. He just passed away this last year. My Aunt Betty's gone. She passed away about two years ago. My Aunt Betty was saved, but I don't know if my uncle ever truly got saved. I've been bothered about that. I witnessed him over and over and over and over and over again. He would never give me a direct answer. But my nephew, my brother's third child, his second son, uh, told me a while back, he said, I had a chance to talk to Uncle Johnny. And he said, Uncle Johnny told me, he said, Donnie, a lot of people don't believe that I'm a Christian. They don't believe that I'm saved because of the things I've done or the way that I've lived sometimes because I was never really involved in church. He said, I want to assure you, I know Christ. Amen. I said, praise the Lord. Amen. Isn't God good? Amen. That just spurs my mind when he starts talking about Ashtore and all this stuff going on. All that took place over in that, in that county over the many, many, many years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people getting saved as a result of some good, independent, fundamental Baptist churches uh, in Asheville, Ohio, amen, in that county. Well, this evening, if you take your Bibles with me and turn to the book of Luke, please, Luke. And, um, I, you know, this afternoon I, I got back and I studied the uh, pastor and, uh, and uh, before my eyes got too heavy. Man, what a meal that was today, amen. And I'm still burping it. Yeah, but what a, you know, what a meal. And, and I and I got back and I was studying, and I had something picked out in my mind that I would like to preach. Now this is what the Lord put on my heart last night, and and I thought, no, you know, maybe not. Let me, you know, uh, but I cannot get away from this. This evening, right before I came in. In fact, when I when I was sitting in the truck right before I walked in the door. Uh, he said, No, he said, Don't preach that, but go back to what I told you to start with. You ever have that happen? Uh you know, you've never had it happen, have you? Sure you have, you know. And so everything just changes all of a sudden. But the Lord the Lord has um really burdened my heart with something over the past number of years, and especially I think over this last this past year, uh, that we're we're not hearing in church very often anymore. Um, and, and, and people are denying it more and more. Not only do they deny Christ, but, and many people will say, well, I believe there's a heaven, but many people will say, I don't believe in a hell. And it's sad, Pastor, that we're seeing that going on around our nation today. Back in, the, back in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, that was a hot topic, man. Hell and the rapture, amen. Those were two topics that were being preached all the time across our nation and we don't hear much anymore. And I want you to know something. The hell is a real place. I just read a fellow's last name is Brown. I forget what his first name was. wrote a message on this text. Somebody handed me the book. I preached this out at Brother Clarence Heflin's and uh, Amazing Grace Baptist in Ariskany Falls, New York just recently here. And I had a fellow come up and say, I think he'd like this book. And he gave me a copy of this uh, Brown's book that uh, was written back in the 1800s where he did an exposition on uh, the book of Luke. I have not read the whole book yet. I'm into about the second chapter, but it just spurs my interest more and more and more as to us as believers in Christ. What are we doing? What are we saying? What are we doing to help people, relatives and friends and family and neighbors and coworkers to keep out of eternal damnation? It seemed like at one time that was an important thing to the born again believer, but I don't see it as important today. Is what I did at one time, Pastor. Look with me, if you would, please, here in the Book of Luke, and I want you to go to chapter sixteen. Nothing familiar, nothing new to you. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. Amen. As we look at this, I'm going to ask you to stand with me just for a moment. I want to be begin reading, if I can, down in verse nineteen, where the Bible make, <clears throat> the Bible makes this statement: There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen. and fared sumptuously every day. Boy, this boy, this boy was doing good, amen. He said, there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed uh, with the crumbs which fell uh, from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Can you imagine that? So sickly, so crippled up that he could not even shoo the dogs away uh, from licking his sores from uh, from nibbling on him, from... Uh, what, a, what a mess this man was in. What a, what a terrible shape physically. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Uh, Father, thank you. Lord, I pray that you would use this message tonight to challenge us, Father, Lord, I know that this is not typical of a message for Sunday evening. but God, for some reason, you won't let it escape my thoughts. You won't let it escape my heart. And I pray, God, help me tonight to do justice. Help me to do right. Help me to say right, Father. Help me to preach right. And God, that you'd have all the glory and all of the honor, Father. Move me out of the way that we might see Jesus high and lifted up in what he's done for us. Upon the cross of Calvary, it's in His precious name we pray, Amen. You may be seated as I begin this evening. I, uh, some people today, I've heard of statements made uh, a while back. Fellow uh, pastor, a fella, uh, fellow, a fellow fairly well-known evangelist in our country who's been out through uh, uh, parts of uh, this area before. I don't know if he's been in Connecticut, but he's been, well, he has been in Connecticut before at one time, but he made this statement that uh, somebody from my home church, or our home church had him in the Pulp, and he made a statement from the, uh, the pulpit preacher. And I want to qualify the statement after I tell you what he said, because I don't agree with him. But he made this statement, uh, and uh, he said, If you got saved because before you, before, you were afraid of going to hell, then you're probably not saved. And I'm thinking, what a terrible statement. What a terrible statement. Because people do get saved because they hear about Hell. And they recognize their sin. And they recognize what Jesus is doing and, uh, to keep them from going there. The Bible says in the book of Jude, verse, uh, 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 yeah, verse 22 and 23, he says this, and, have, and, ha- and of some have compassion making a difference. There's some you're going to win to the Lord by the love of God and you're going to show that love and you're going to live that love and they're going to want what you have just because you're so kind and generous and so loving towards them. But then he makes a statement in the very same text. He says, Another saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. There are some who are going to get saved because they hear about hell and they recognize their need of a Savior because of their sinful state. Boy, I tell you what, my friends, I'm just convinced as a believer in Jesus Christ that we need to present this more and more and more uh, to those who are lost and dying in eternal damnation on their way there because, boy, they need the compassion of God but they need to be pulled out of the fire by fear. Sometimes it may be our fear, afraid of what's going to happen when they die and go off into eternal damnation. I've got I've got relatives who are gone. I've got a relative who is a Jehovah's Witness, and I've witnessed to her years and years and years. I don't see her anymore, Pastor. She don't have a lot to do with me. But when my uncle, was, my one uncle was dying in a nursing home, and I, gave him, I went to give him the gospel, she's the one that called me and asked me to go and visit. And Why would she do that? I'm not a Jehovah's Witness, but I believe she knows I have the truth, and she doesn't. I believe that. So I gave him the gospel. He never did get saved. He's in eternal damnation tonight. told me he does not believe, did not believe that there's anything but darkness after death. I probably had shared that here before. But I want to share a couple of things out of this text with you this evening if I can. Look back with me just for a moment if you would. As we look, we know this rich man, he did well. He fared sumptuously. He, he had no worries I'm sure he thought that his life was going to go on and on and on and on. Maybe he thought with the, medical, with the medical profession that we have today in his day, maybe he thought I'm going to live to be 90 years old. It doesn't say how old he was here. I've got a feeling he wasn't a very old man. I mean old in age. He might have only been 30 or 40, maybe 50. Well, I'm sure maybe he thought he had a lot more years in front of him. The Bible says he was rich. The Bible says that Lazarus, who was the poor, the beggar, ends up begging for crumbs at his gates. And then the Bible makes this statement, it came to pass that the beggar died and was and was carried to and the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. well what a what a precious thought that is is it not? That when we die, we're escorted into heaven. That the blinking at the blink of an eye at that moment, pastor, to be escorted by the angels of God into the place of glory to stand before our wonderful, matchless, loving Savior. Man, what a wonderful picture that is! But the rich man died and was buried. But Barry, it gives you the idea that the rich man dies and all his, all, and we go to funerals and there's nothing wrong with that, but all his friends came to the funeral and it did nothing for him. He's an eternal damnation. No matter how much his friends gave, no matter what his family did, he is not in eternal life. He has not known Jesus Christ as his Savior. How sad that a person would go to that place in their life when, when life is all over, that there's nothing for them. But what he had was eternal damnation. I want you to see just for a moment, number one, that death has no boundaries. It doesn't matter if you're rich, doesn't matter if you're poor, doesn't matter if you're in good health, doesn't matter if you're in bad health, doesn't matter if you're young, doesn't matter if you're old, death has no boundaries. Many of you know, like I know, many people who lost babies, many people uh, sometimes who lost little children, many people who lost grandchildren. I had one that passed away at three and a half years old and asleep because of a seizure. Uh, so many people, you don't know uh, when your time is. Uh, the question I have for you is where will you spend eternity when that time comes to you? Where will you be? Where will your family be? One of the saddest things that I've seen in the past number of years, and I love my family, but I have a family member, and you know him, Pastor, He was a preacher for a number of years, preaches boys with us in Ohio before, has a number of grandchildren, does not talk to any one of them about eternal life anymore. Because he's forsaken the things of God. Talks about everything else about them. In fact, at a point where he was down south one day and his one grandson came up, climbed in his lap, and said, Grandpa, I just got back from camp and I got saved. And my brother just sat there and looked at him. Just looked at him. He said, Did you hear me? I got saved. He was excited about it. And here's my brother who was a preacher for a number of years that denies the gospel of Jesus Christ today. How sad that a person would let them get themselves to that place where they have no concern for another person's soul. How sad that we will get to that place, that we would not be concerned for another person's soul. How sad that we would allow ourselves to drift that far, listen, far from the love of God. Because it's God's love manifested in you that should want to tell people what Jesus has done for them. Acts chapter ten verse thirty four says, "And Peter opened his mouth." I love it. Peter opened his mouth a lot, did he not? Amen. <laughs> you look at the scripture. People open, Peter opened his mouth continually. But here, Peter said this: "Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. It does not matter who you are when death comes knocking at your door. Where will you spend eternity? If death comes knocking at your neighbor's door or your children's door or your grandchildren's door, uh, where will they spend eternity?" Boy, you ought to be be so concerned about that that you're going to do everything you can to talk to them about Jesus Christ. Everything you can to give them the gospel. You say, oh, Brother Mike, I've done it and they've gotten mad at me. So what? So what if they get mad at you? Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that people didn't give up on me. Amen. I'm so glad that people did not stop witnessing to Mike Patterson, no matter how wicked he was and how godly he was and how terrible he became in his life before he got saved. I'm so glad that people did not stop giving me the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm so glad even like people like Fred Fowler, you know, and, and these guys gave me the gospel pastor in between prison. I did not get saved, but they did not give up on me, continually inviting me to church, continually telling me about Jesus Christ would not get off my back. I tried to get away from them as much as possible, and it was three years later when I got saved. Amen. Death has no boundaries. Number two, look at me if you will. Under verse 23, he makes this statement. Back 23, he says, and in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off. Oh, Abraham afar off, he says, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. The first thought again is that death has no boundaries but the second thing I want you to see is that hell has no mercy. Hell has no mercy There's no mercy in hell. Uh, There's people today, when I was in Papua New Guinea, pastor one time I was preaching, and I don't know if I was preaching this text, I can't remember, but I made this statement. I lowered the microphone over the pulpit down to almost touch the ground. I said, if you could put this microphone over the mouth of hell today, this is what you would hear. Mercy, have mercy, God, have mercy. Mercy. Mercy! You would hear them crying out for mercy. And as I began, as I was preaching that, all of a sudden over here, there was all these national pastors over here. And over here, they got up off their seats and they came over and they knelt down around the pulpit in the beginning of the message or middle of the message. Knelt down around the podium, around the pulpit. And as they're laying there, they did one of these where they stretched out on the ground ground was muddy. It wasn't carpeted floor. It was an outside tabernacle that they built. It had been raining like crazy. My dress shoes got so messed up, they were no longer dressed up. Amen. <laughs> and they all knelt down and laid out. And they laid out on the ground, and they laid their faces on the ground. When they stood up, they had mud on their faces, weeping and praying. And when it was all over, when the message was all finished, they Many got up and got back in their seats. Some of them stayed there for the whole message. When it was all over, I asked them what was going on because I was curious. Here's what they said to me Brother Mike, Brother Mike, we cannot help our ancestors, but we were praying for God to help us reach our people with the gospel so they will not go to hell. Was the last time you was the last time you prayed and wept for a soul. For someone you know is going to eternal damnation. Now is when they need to experience the mercy of God. Because when they're late, when they're dead, it's too late. He cries out from hell for mercy. And there is none. Suffering eternal damnation from a holy God. He says in our text not only does not hell have any mercy, but go with me, if you please, down to verse 25. Brother Ray, I think you met Dr. Jack Parchman, did you not, down in Florida? I don't know if these folks, anybody up here has ever met him. He was a tall, lanky preacher, old preacher, 82, I think, when we met him, or 83, maybe, and lived for a couple of more years. But I remember about Brother Parchman, somebody gave him a brand-new RV to drive, and he's getting ready to pull out of the area and he cut it too quick and he hit one, our electric poles of rain, I put it down there years ago, broke the water line, hit the electric pole, bent it over, we had to go fix it, hit it with it, damages RV. Great man of God, loved the Lord, preached and every time he preached, Pastor, I don't think there was a time I ever heard him preach where somewhere in that message, he did not mention hell. And he'd stand in that pulpit, I'll never forget, on a Saturday night, one time. It might have been Thursday night, the first preacher of the week. He stood in that pulpit. I remember him going like this. By the time he got about to the third point, he goes like this, and he had a great big old long bony finger. And he pointed out and he'd go like this, looking at people, and he'd just point across the congregation. And he said, If you don't get saved and you go to hell, you're gonna fry like a sausage in a frying pan. Why what a picture in the mind! Sizzle and blister. And that's eternal damnation. That's the eternal resting place of people who do not know Christ, who have no mercy when they get there, but they can have mercy now. And they need to hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look with me in verse 25, where he makes this statement Abraham said, Son, he said, Now, if you just send Lazarus in verse before, that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this place. He says, Abraham's son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest like good things, and likewise Lazarus, likewise Lazarus, evil things. Uh, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Now listen, this has nothing to do with Lazarus being poor and a beggar and has nothing to do with the rich man being rich and, and having no need. That's not why the rich man went to hell and that's not why Lazarus went to heaven. The rich man went to hell because he denied the truth of the very word of God. And Lazarus went to heaven because he believed the truth of the very word of God. The rich man rejected God. Lazarus accepted God. Many today reject Christ. And if we would just trust Christ, we could have eternal life. Amen. In that place called heaven. In hell, I wrote down, there is remembrance. This rich man, this rich man remembers he remembers, he remembers what it was like. I had a friend in, years ago, Pastor, when I was pastoring back in the mid-'80s in Michigan. I came back to Ohio to, back then, Eagleville Bible Church, when it was that little building out there. We used to play baseball with them, you know. And Tom Allen called me and said, Pastor, we'd like to have you come and hold a week of revival meetings for us. And I believe Pletsch was there. No, House was there. Pastor House, I don't know if you ever met him or not. He was the guy after Pletsch that was there. And a great guy, King James man, straight-laced, independent, fundamental Baptist, amen. I wish he would have stayed there, amen. Been a whole different ballgame than what it is today in that church, but I'll never forget as as they invited me to come and they invited me to preach and I preached all week and last night I was there, I preached another message I have on hell and, and I remember uh, a number of hands went up and I had a stepsister that got saved that night and a niece, her daughter got saved that night. But back in that corner, I'm not pointing anybody out back there, by the way, amen. But back in that corner, was a fellow singer by the name of John Chapin. And I witnessed John, I don't know if you ever met him, played in a few bands, he was left-handed guitarist, he played it upside down, he played it left-handed, amen. And John was a druggie, and I used to hang with John all the time. And John came, John came to the meeting that Friday night, here's what he told me. He said, I got home from work today, Mike, and he said, I sat down at the table, and he said, I reached in the refrigerator and I grabbed a six-pack of beer and said on the table I was going to sit there and drink some beer and read the newspaper. And I looked down. And he said, and I read this earlier in the week or I saw a flyer right earlier, but in the newspaper it said, uh, there, was, there was your picture and then there was a dates for the meeting out to the church. And he said, I thought I'm going to go out and hear Mike Patterson tonight. And he came out and he heard the gospel. Raised his hand, but he did not get saved. And I said, would you just come forward? And he said, just pray for me. Out loud, just pray for me. When the meeting was over, I walked down the steps from, that church had about four or five steps like this down the front. Remember that preacher? As you go out and you walk out, and you, maybe it was about three, and you'd walk down. And I caught him out in front of the church, and I, I asked him, I said, John, I said, you raised your hand. And he said, Mike, he said, listen to me. You said something tonight that made me think. You said that this might be the last opportunity that you'll ever have to get saved. He said, maybe you'll, maybe you'll never hear the gospel again. Just pray for me. And I said, John, he said, listen, he said, I've heard the gospel probably 25 times or more. 25 times or more. And I've never gotten saved. And I said, why not? He said, I just don't think I can. So sad, Brother. And he walked away not knowing Christ after he heard a gospel message. I don't know if he ever has gotten saved. I try to visit him every time I go back. He lived at Raised Corners. I go, I go to that little yellow house at Raised Corners about right before, if you're heading south, right before you get to Raised Corners on the right-hand side, it used to be a yellow house. That was a drug house, you know. <laughs> but that's where he lives And I go there and I knock on the door. I don't know how many times he works all over. He's a carpenter. He works all over, knocking on his door many times. And every time I see him, I witness to him and give him the gospel, give him a track, invite him out to church. He's never gotten saved, but I haven't seen him now, I don't think, in 10 years. Whenever I stop, he's not there anymore. I don't know if he's alive or I don't know if he's dead. But if he never got saved, he's suffering eternal damnation tonight. My friend, he'll remember every time he was ever witnessed to. He's gonna remember, Pastor, every time he was ever witnessed to. And I want you to see, look at verse 26 with me real quick. And beside all this, between us and you, there is, fixed a, there is a great gulf fixed, so the day which pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass, uh, pass to us that would come from thence. Now why would somebody wanna go from, from heaven to hell? Let me tell you why, I'll tell you why if you could possibly pass and see if you could see like you could at this time uh in the scriptures when when it was the comforted side or the side of of Abraham's bosom where you could see a cross, which you cannot do today, amen? I believe because Christ has raised them out and taken the captive captivity free and freed them up in the glory. But if you could go, if you could go, if you had a loved one, a child or a grandchild or a husband or a wife or a grandparent, or, or someone that you could help relieve and comfort just a little bit. Tell me you would not do it. Yes, you would. And so wouldn't I. We said it can't be done. Why? Because it's everlasting. It's permanent. It's never ending. But you would do what you could. And we know why people would want to leave hell and go to heaven, but it's not going to happen. He said, you cannot pass between the two. I don't care what the movie theaters say. I don't, I don't care what, I don't care what the listen, I don't, I don't care what the liberal preachers say. I don't care. I care what the Bible says. Yeah. And this is a this is not a parable in the scripture, my friend. Whenever he gives you the word of God, it is explained to you in such a way that you will know if it's a parable or not. And I'll tell you one way we know this is not preacher, because he uses proper names in here. Lazarus, who is not the Lazarus that was the brother of Martha and Mary. This is the Lazarus here who died as a beggar. That Lazarus is not a beggar. He rose and came out of the grave when Jesus called him forth. But this Lazarus here is one that was not that one. And he is in the comforted part of Abraham's bosom, getting ready to be accepted into the glory of God. One they raised from the dead when Christ raises up. You'll remember every time you ever heard the gospel and then it's everlasting, never ending. I want to show you one more, if you would with me, please. Look down at verse 27. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house. I can't, I can't come to you and he can't come to me, but send him to my father's house. I don't know what he thought, uh, uh, why he thought that they could send Lazarus back. Maybe, Pastor, maybe, just in my mind, I'm wondering if he heard about the other Lazarus. Amen? I don't know. But who knows? But for some reason, he's thinking that maybe Abraham could send him back to his father's house. So he said, send him back to my father's house that he may testify unto them, lest they also could come into this. let they also come into this place of torment. Send them back to my father's house. Let them know what is happening. Let them know what is going on. Tell them about this terrible eternal damnation. And to have Lazarus tell them about what he sees with me in hell and how I am tormented and how I am in flame and how I am not comforted at all. <coughs> go and tell them. I had a friend <coughs> years ago that was a Baptist preacher and he was a um, missionary to Honduras. And when he came back from Honduras one time, I had him preach for me and he was telling me the story when he passed. He pastored two churches. He lasted in one church three months. <laughs> You'd have to know the guy, brother. Amen. <laughs> he lasted in the next church about six months, maybe. I guess, but when he's pastor, he told me. He said one time, he said I preach a message as the rich man in hell. And he says so on that Sunday night it was dark, and he said I had a I had a big thing of of uh, uh, of uh, dry ice behind me, a cooler full of dry ice, and he said I changed the lights in the pulpit to red, and he said then I. I take a. I, he says as, I, as the lights in the church went out. He said I began to I began to preach and cry out like the rich man in hell. And he said I had to, I had heat lamp lights. He said I started to sweat and I reached back and I kicked that top off that cooler with the back of my foot. He said I'm preaching the rich man in eternal damnation, suffering because he was a sinner because he did not know God. He said I scared half my people half to death. Amen. I tell you what, it's real. He said, I got five brethren. He said, Testify unto them that they also, unless they also come to this place of torment. Now Abraham responds to him. Lazarus is mentioned. Abraham's name is mentioned. Now he even mentions the name of Moses and the prophets. Look what he says. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Now, here's what you need to understand. If they had Moses and the prophets, he had Moses and the prophets. You know what this tells me, Pastor? This man's not a Gentile. This man's a Jew. This man was one that was trained up from a young man to know the word of God and know the truth. And I want you to understand something. You can be trained up from a little child to know the word of God and to know who God is and to know about Jesus Christ. And you can come to church all of your life and die and go to hell because you've never been saved. How sad. But we believe that our righteousness and the good things we do are gonna get us there. He says, no, it will never, ever happen. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They had the word of God. Moses, well, the first five books. They had the prophets, everything that was written about the prophets, everything the prophets ever wrote. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded The one rose from the dead. Now here's the point. In hell, it's too late. It's too late. It's too late. You cannot do something for someone when they're in the casket in the front of the church and you know that they are not saved. You can't do anything for them then. The time to do something is now, now, not tomorrow. And I realize the workplace today is not like it was back in the 70s, amen? When you could take your Bible to work, Pastor, and you could stand at your machine or sit in the break room, and you probably could still do that and, and read your Bible. Maybe you can't in some places. I don't know. But I used to read my Bible at the machine where I was working, Pastor. I'd stand there and read, and pretty soon I'd have guys coming up to me. I was doing piecework, so I was making extra money by working through my lunch hour. I'd carry my Bible in my lunchbox. I'd carry six sandwiches in my lunch bag. And I, I fared sumptuously every day, amen. And I carried my thermos in my hand because I didn't want to ruin my Bible. I worked in a rubber shop, and that was filthy in there. And I'd get the Bible out, and I'd read. I'd lay it on my table while I'm working at that one machine that paid extra money. And I'd be reading, and I'd pretty soon have somebody come up to me and say, What are you doing? I said, I'm reading my Bible. What are you reading? Well, I'm reading this. What's that mean? I tell him, you know, pretty soon it came where I had to shut that machine down on my lunch hour. Didn't get to eat a sandwich, because I'd had anywhere from anywhere from ten to fifteen guys standing around me in a semicircle, and I'd be preaching the word of God to them. Didn't even know what preaching meant. Didn't even know what it meant to be a preacher. I just knew this, that when they would ask me a question, I would go home and I'd call my pastor and say, hey, I got to ask this question, what do you think? He said, well, look it up over here. I go back the next night and I'd exposit on it. I don't even do expository messages hardly anymore. But I'd give them that text and i sure, I had two men get saved. Why? Because somebody took the interest in them to give them the Word of God. You might not be able to do that in the workplace, amen, today, but you can still share the Word of God, amen, somehow, some way, some shape, some form. Invite them over to your house like I did to a guy I worked with in Ohio one time, and I got him to go out back with me, and I started a big fire in my can. I said, if you die, that's exactly what it's going to be like. Step a little closer and see. I thought he thought maybe I was going to throw him in, amen. <laughs> Scared him after death, I think, but he didn't get saved. But I gave him something to think about, hallelujah, amen. Let me tell you, in hell it's too late. When a person goes and dies and that's where they go, you can't do anything about it then. You can't help them. You can't share the mercy of God with them anymore. Can't share the grace of God. Can't share the love of God. What are you doing? What are you doing today in your Christian life? To see people get saved. Amen. What are you doing to reach your neighbor? What are you doing somehow to reach your co workers? What are you doing somehow to reach the bank teller? I had a bank teller one time when I was pastoring. I came in and she knew I was the pastor of the church and she said, Pastor, would you, would you please pray for my mother? She's, a, she's over in rehab right now and they don't know how she's gonna, they don't know she's gonna make it. She's not doing well. I said, okay. I said, uh, bow your head. I, just, I don't know if she bowed her head at that time, but I just bowed my head and started praying for her mother, amen. <laughs> when I was all done, I said, we'll be praying at the church. I went in the following week and said, how's your mother? She said, she's doing great. Thank you so much for praying. I said, it's not my prayer that did anything, amen. I'm just telling you, I just prayed for her and, and thank God for that. I'm not not—I'm not so braggadocious, pastor. I think it was my prayer. Our whole church was praying for her. There was probably another godly saint in our church who was much more godly than I was as a pastor, let me tell you, amen. And she prayed and they prayed and I believe that was the answer to prayer. Not because I prayed, amen, but because others prayed for her. I tell you what, pray. Pray. Has God put somebody on your heart tonight? Amen. Amen. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. First question I have for you this evening is this Has there been a time in your life when you've been saved? and you know for sure without a shadow of a doubt that if you died that you'd go to heaven? Now, if not, if not, if you're not sure, if you're not sure, I would, com- I would count it a, com- a tremendous privilege to pray for you. Is there anybody right now an upraised hand and say, Mike, that's me. Mike, I'm not sure, I'm not sure If I died, that my final resting place is heaven. I'm not sure, could you just pray for me? Anybody at all like that right now with an upraised hand? Second question is this Is there someone you can think about right now that you should be praying for to be a witness to them? Here's what I'm going to do the invitation. If you can think of somebody right now, I want you to get up and I want you to come to the altar. Come on. Come on, God bless you. Come on. You come and you start praying for them right here, right now and don't quit. You don't quit praying for them. You take them every day between before you, before the Lord from your lips. Pray for them every day. Loved one, family member, Neighbor, co-worker, somebody that God has placed upon your heart that you need to pray for as a child of God because of what's in their life. You know that if they die, you know that they are hell bound. You know it. And if you can't kneel down up here, you can sit down on the front pew. God spoke to your heart. Why don't you give in to him tonight? Come and pray. How about it? Join these who have stepped out and come up this evening that God would have the glory and that God would have all of the honor.